Did you know that you can live a life that's even better than the highest rank your company has to offer? My name is Emily Gibson. I'm a master network marketer and a certified life coach. There is more beyond the rank. And if you're willing to go with me, I can show you how. Let's go. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I hope you had a beautiful weekend. I came home from Portugal and can't wait to tell you all about it on another episode. But I wanted to share a story from high school with you today because I cannot stop thinking about it. And it just fits in the model so well, especially when you have a coach. And let me explain. First of all, if you're listening to this podcast, you can just consider me your coach. I'm coaching you here. We're getting you 80% of the way and you're making so much progress. Good job. Look at you. You're plugging in. You're working on yourself. You're having awareness of your thoughts. You're learning. You're growing. You're already ahead of 99% of people because you're showing up and you're tuning in. Bravo, my friends. Okay. When I was a senior in high school, I, this is going to surprise you, was over scheduled. (laughs) Not a surprise. No. (laughs) I was the head cheerleader on my cheerleading team. I was the lead in the school play. I was in honors English and government, which by the way, I would not recommend. I literally told my oldest, who's 14 going into high school this fall, I told him not to take the AP classes because they're pointless. I do recommend taking honors English, but why do you need to take the test, the AP test? I just don't think you need to take it. Even if you score high enough to get the points and the credits, you're most likely not going to make enough credits to have it take off more than two or three credits from your college experience. And why do you want to be graduating college early anyway? We don't want to be graduating college early. We want to enjoy the college years. We want to take full advantage of four blissful, beautiful years of college, maybe even go get a master's degree. So we extend college life two more years or a doctorate degree, get a third year in PhD. Why not? There's no need to rush. Now, if you need to be challenged and you want to take the AP classes, by all means, go ahead and do it. But most people encourage their kids to take AP classes because they want them to be able to graduate college early. And I am just not of that mindset. I want my kids to enjoy every second of those years because it's really just such a beautiful time in life where you have just enough responsibility to get your feet wet in adulthood, but not nearly enough responsibility for it to really be stressful. I mean, you think it's stressful at the time, but it's not really real life stress. You're probably not paying a mortgage. You probably are not married or you're just newly married. You might not even have kids yet, or you might maybe like we got married in college. 
we started having our family when my husband was in his first year of his doctorate degree, I would have had kids earlier uh, when I was getting my bachelor's degree, but we couldn't get pregnant. We had infertility issues for two years. Anyway, when I was in high school, my senior year, I was a busy girl and I loved it. I loved to leave the house at 5.30 in the morning for early morning seminary. And then I took zero period marine biology. My high school offered it as a course. The first half of the year, we studied marine biology out of a textbook in a classroom. The second half of the year, we got to lead marine docent classes out on the tide pools in my hometown of Half Moon Bay. It was actually further north of Half Moon Bay in a place called Monterra. And there is this F. Scott Fitzgerald Marine Reserve up there. And the elementary schools would contract with the high school and it was a free field trip for them. I mean, I think it was free. It's, it's, it was a, you know, like state owned park. Anyone could go. You didn't have to pay admission to go, but they had us as high school students lead the kids out around on the tide pools and teach them about all the sea urchins and the mussels and the different starfish. And they got to touch them and it was one of the coolest experiences that my high school offered. So I took zero period marine biology and then took a full seven period courses. After school, I went straight to cheerleading. And then that would be from, you know, three to 5.30 PM. And then I would either get some dinner down the hill from the high school, or I would pack a dinner and then I'd go to play practice from 6 to 10 p.m. And then I did my homework. I don't even know when. Somewhere in there. <laughs> Somewhere in there, I did homework and managed to get a really high GPA. And so one night when I was late to play practice, it was foggy and the roads were really wet. And I was in my Honda Civic. I had an 89 maroon Honda Civic with chrome plastic hubcaps. And I love that car. It was the best. It was a stick shift. My dad bought it for me when I turned 16 for $3,200. And I remember he wrote, we went, we drove into San Francisco to pick up the car and he wrote a bill of sale. And, uh, we, we drove it home. He had to drive it home cause I didn't know stick shift yet. And so I passed my driver's license test like a week later. And in order to drive it to school, the day after I got my driver's license, he made me wake up two hours early before school and drive my car around our, we lived on a golf course in a gated community there in half moon Bay. And he made me drive it around the golf course and stall out the engine for two hours before I could take it to school. Of course, I stalled it out many, many times the first couple of years I was driving it, but that was such a fun car and I loved it so much. And I'm so grateful I know how to drive a stick shift. I don't know. I feel like it's a valuable thing to know. Anyway, so I drove my 89 Honda Civic. In fact, I asked my parents if I could drive their car. They had like a a Lexus, like an RX 350, but it was, you know, in 2001 or whatever. And so, 
um, I asked to drive their SU, their like crossover SUV. And they said, no, you can't. So I was all mad. And I got into my Honda Civic and I drove to the high school and it was a two lane highway that was really congested this time of night. And I remember I was late. So I was being impatient. I was trying to, you know, go around a flatbed truck that was turning left on a two lane highway in rush hour traffic at like 5 45 PM at night. And they had drilled into us over and over and over again. You can't be late. It was just unacceptable to be late to play practice, especially if you were a principal or lead role, which I was. I was the the female lead of the play that year. It was how to succeed in business without really trying. (laughs) Oh, I've never thought about that. I haven't thought about that in so long. That's so funny. Anyway, um, what a role for me to play, except I really try. I've had to try hard. to succeed in business for many, many years. But now I feel like it's the easiest thing ever. Not always positive emotions all the time, but I know what to do. (laughs) And if I don't, I love to figure out what the solution is and go forward anyway. So I was a lead role and it was a big deal. If you were late, like they drilled it into us. You're the example. You have to be on time. And I was late and I was trying to make up time. And so this flatbed truck was turning left on the highway right outside of the golf course. I had come out and I was, I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking, right? And so I was coming up on the flatbed and I remember thinking, I'll just go around him. Remember two lane highway on the coast of Northern California. There was not any extra room. The last thing I remember thinking is, oh my gosh, I'm going to hit the truck. And the next thing I remember is waking up to someone. It ended up being my one of my stepmom's friends, Diane. And she was saying, oh my gosh, Emily, it's you. And then the next thing I remember thinking, or the next thing I remember seeing were the paramedics asking me questions. And I was very out of it. I had gone completely unconscious. I had actually gone underneath the flatbed truck. And, um, and then slammed into a tree, which ended up saving my life because it kept me from going into the ravine that was there. Right. It wasn't like a deep ravine, but it was a, a big enough ravine that had I gone down it, it probably would have tipped my car upside down. It probably would have killed me. And so I remember the paramedics when I first came to, I remember them asking me, do you know what happened? And I I looked at them and I looked forward and I saw that my car was slammed into a tree. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I've hit a tree, but I don't remember hitting a tree and I don't want to lie to them and tell them that I hit a tree, but I've clearly hit a tree. So I decided to go ahead and lie to the paramedic. (laughs) And I said to him, did I hit a tree? 
And he said, yes, very good. And at this point, I'm still trapped inside of the car. They are trying there. They've called the ambulance. They're, they're using the jaws of life to try and get me out, but they can't get me out of the driver's side door because it's damaged so badly from going underneath the flatbed truck. Like my entire car went underneath the flatbed and it crushed over the top of me. And so when I came to, they were asking me questions as they were trying to pry open the driver's side passenger back seat to put, they were, they then eventually put down my, my seat and then they pulled me out through the back of the car. But at this time they were still trying to get, you know, everything there. And so they asked me, do you know what happened? And I, I remember thinking, I'm just going to lie to them and tell them the answer they want to hear. So I said, yeah, I, did I hit a tree? And they said, yes, very good. And I remember feeling so much guilt <laughs> that I had lied to them because I didn't remember hitting a tree. And I sat there for maybe 30 to 60 seconds more. I don't remember. And they're trying to get me out and they that someone re someone appeared again by the window. And I said, did I also hit a truck? Because I kept remembering thinking I'm going to hit a truck. And the paramedic said, yes, you did. Very good girl. And then they pulled me out of the, out of my car through the back passenger driver's side uh, door, put me on the stretcher, cut off all my clothes, which I was devastated about because it was my very favorite outfit. We were actually taking cast pictures that night. They were these black stretchy pants that my stepmom had bought me at Nordstrom. And I felt like they made me look so good and they did. And then I had this turtleneck sweater that was in this pink fuchsia color. It was just so cute. My hair was all done and my makeup was all done. And anyway, they cut off all my clothes because they couldn't figure out where all the blood was coming from. There was so much blood. Turns out it was just my nose because I had slammed my nose on the steering wheel when I hit the truck. And because they weren't sure that that's where all the blood was coming from, because I had been unconscious because of the severity of my accident, they... And because Half Moon Bay is considered to be a rural community, there aren't, at the time, there was like a family medicine doctor in town, but even that is gone now. The closest hospital is over 30 minutes away. And so the, the closest head trauma hospital was Stanford ER. So they drove me in an ambulance down the road to the fire department there in Half Moon Bay, and they life-flighted me to Stanford ER. We get there, they do an MRI, they do a CAT scan, they find that I have a concussion and that's it. I had a bruise of a seatbelt across my body, one little nick and cut on my chin, one little nick and cut on my cheek. And I mean, it was just blood everywhere. Like it took over a week to get all the caked blood off of me and it was pretty bad. And so they wanted to keep me overnight, but there had been a gang shooting in the like in the person next door to me. 
and from South San Francisco. And my parents didn't want me to stay there that night because they felt like it was unsafe. There was police there watching this gang shooting victim. And so they convinced the doctors to let my parents drive me home. And as long as they promised to wake me up every two hours because I had this concussion. Now, of course, this was in 2001, I believe, like January 2001. So cell phones were not a thing. Smartphones didn't exist. Social media didn't exist. They didn't really know anything about concussions back then. If they did, they didn't share it with us. All I remember is I didn't want any lights on and I didn't even want to watch TV. And so I just remember sleeping all the time. And then I knew I couldn't miss too much school because of all my class loads and everything. So five days later, I went back to school. And if you've ever had a concussion before, you know how miserable it is. It was like everything was exhausting. I mean, by third period, I was ready to go home and sleep for four hours. And my teachers didn't really understand because they had heard I was in a car accident, but didn't know how bad it was. So finally I had to start taking pictures to school to show them my car accident and pictures of me. And, um, we didn't even have a doctor's note, you guys, like they just didn't do this stuff back then. And so, and it wasn't even that long ago. It was only 20 years ago or something. And so anyway, um, it's just so crazy how things have changed now. Now they, they have like a protocol for concussions and things like that, but back then they didn't. So anyway, life got back to normal, but I was thinking after, after a short period of time, my car was totaled. My dad took me to see the car a week later and the person who owned the, the junkyard, when he saw my dad, the first time he, uh, you know, he's, they, you know, shook hands. Thanks for the car. Here's what you owe me for, you know, taking the car here, et cetera. And then when my dad took me back a week later, we walked into the junkyard and he looked at us and he said, is this your daughter? That was the driver. And my dad said, yeah, this is her. And he said, I'm so sorry. I have to apologize. I did not ask when you were here last week, because I've done this for over 30 years. And I knew from this car that this was a fatality. That's why I didn't ask how she was. And he could not believe that I was standing there alive in front of him. I remember when I was in the helicopter, just praying over and over and over again, asking forgiveness of God, (laughs) because on New Year's Eve, like two weeks before I had given in to some peer pressure and drank champagne on New Year's Eve. And I knew for sure I was going to go to hell. And (laughs) And so the whole ride in the helicopter, I was like, please, Heavenly Father, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And the nurse in the helicopter kept leaning down. What are you trying to say? And I I yelled at her, stop bothering me. I'm talking to God. Leave me alone. <laughs> and so anyway, um, shortly, a couple of weeks after, a couple of months after everything got back to normal, I had to bum rides off of my friend and my stepsister and figure out how to get myself to school and all of those things. Cause I didn't have a car anymore. And my parents were not about to buy me another one, which I feel like was actually very smart and a great inconvenience to them, but what a good example of parenting and natural consequences. Right? So anyway, uh, I was thinking about this example in this car accident and giving people the answer we think they want to hear from us. And it reminded me of when I was slammed into that tree and the paramedic asked me, do you remember what happened? And I lied to him and I gave him the answer that he, that I thought he wanted. And I'm so grateful that I didn't just end there. I also told him 
what else I remembered happening. And when you have a life coach or when you're doing self-coaching on yourself, it's very common to give them the answer that you think they want to hear or give yourself the answer that you think you want to hear. And when we do that, we break integrity and character with ourselves. Our brains are very smart. They know when we're lying to them. And so when you are coaching yourself, when you are learning to tap in and have awareness with yourself, the most important thing is being honest with yourself. And so if you look at your back office, or if you look at the rank that you are in your company and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm so behind, or I'm not good enough because I'm not this rank. And then you try to tell yourself, it's fine. It's no big deal. Points don't matter. Rank isn't important, but you believe that it is. I'm not saying that everyone believes this, but if you are someone like this who believes that you are more worthy if your points are higher or you're more worthy when you hit that next rank, then if you tell yourself you're not, then your brain knows it's all baloney. It's very smart. And that's why it doesn't work to just think positively. Because if you're just thinking positively and you're not changing the belief in yourself, then what's actually happening is you're lying to yourself. You're breaking integrity with yourself and you're giving yourself the answer you think you want to hear and it doesn't work. If it worked, I'd be all in, but it doesn't work. And so what I want to encourage you today is that whatever you believe right now is totally right. And the way to freedom through all of this is to allow yourself to be where you are and then love yourself anyway. Be curious about it. If you believe that you will be more worthy when you hit the top of your company or you'll be more worthy after your next rank if you had more points in your back office, why is that? Ask yourself that honest question, why? And your brain might say to you, we don't know. It just is. And I want you to take it a step further and say, let's just take a guess. Why do we think we would be more worthy, more liked, more lovable, more accepted when we hit that next rank? Let your brain answer that question. Is it because you'll be good enough? Is it because you'll be more loved? Then Tell your brain, okay, it's good to know, brain. It's good to know that you're making this all be about lovability. But guess what, brain? I am just as lovable as I am now with three people on my team as I will be when I have 2,000 people ordering on my team. That belief in self, that lovability of self is what will actually deliver you to the next rank, to the top of your company. We think that if we beat ourselves up along the way, telling ourselves we're worthless, we're not good enough, we think that's going to deliver us there because sometimes it does. But then we get there, we've hit the rank, and we feel unaccepted. We don't feel loved. And then we think, oh, It must be because I'm a fraud. It must be because I bought some orders. It must be because I don't have 
any good workers or my workers don't have the right hair color or they didn't go to the right college or they don't have the right job or they're not in the right religion or whatever it is our brain is offering to us. But it's all a made up story. Even if you have not hit the first company rank, I promise you, you are equal to someone who has hit the top of their company three times over. Your rank does not equal or mean anything about you. And if we don't fix that now at the rank you're at now, you're going to get to that highest rank of your company and you're going to think, why do I still not fit in? Because it was never the rank that was the problem, my friend. It was your thought that was always the problem. I would love to help you get past this. I hope that this episode has given you some tips and some skills to do that. If not, please come join me inside of my member community. The doors are open. www.emilygibson.com backslash shop. $59 every single month, or just come and try it for a month. My workshop on burnout is going to blow your mind in the month of May. Burnout is a feeling. We think our job is causing burnout. We think our lack of systems is causing burnout. We think we need to do more, push harder, hustle more. It's all wrong. That's not the problem. Burnout comes from your thoughts about your business, your phone that's constantly dinging, your upline, your team, your mom that doesn't support you, your husband that thinks it's too expensive. Burnout comes from all your thoughts about that. It has nothing to do with you overworking or not. And I'd love to show you how. Come join me. I'll see you there, guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Who is your life coach? If you don't have one, I would be so honored to be your coach. I've created a virtual program called Beyond the Rank that I want to invite you to join me in. We can address challenges, we can work on goals, and we can do it in so many different ways. We have group coaching, individual private coaching, and hundreds of hours of online courses and content that I'm creating just for you. When you're ready to take what you're learning on the podcast to the 10X level, then come check out Beyond the Rank at emilygibsoncoaching.com.